before I get up there, I'm an open book. 100% open. If you need me for anything, you can call me and I'll give you my best advice. But before I come up there, I want to tell you guys, this has been, I told somebody earlier, nine years. This has been 12 years of running. 12 years of running away from this. And I'm starting to come back up. And you guys will know with me how emotional that this is for me to come up here. I want to take just a second. And kids, you are dismissed. Oh, kids Sorry. are dismissed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at you. He gives me the platform and he still can't get off the microphone. <laughs> well, while they're going, I just want to take just a quick second. Um, I got to give honor to my pastor. Uh, you know, I don't know how many people would stand up here and do this, but... I owe a lot to Pastor Todd, and you guys will never know how much he means to me. Um, he has been literally my brother. Uh, he has pulled me from the darknesses that I was in, uh, the sin that I was in, and helped me get through life, um, and helped me get through, uh, you know, living with my dad, if you know my dad. <laughs> No, I love, I love him. But uh, I just want to give honor to him because uh, you know he he just means a lot to me, and Becky means just so much to me and my family, and their kids have been like my brothers and or my sisters, and you know I just I remember them when they were babies, and it's still hard for me to believe that that they're grown, but um, and have kids of their own. Whew. Anyway, so I'm going to read a, pra- a poem real quick, and then we'll start a video. I got a little video, and then uh, I'm going to go into my God story. Um, I, you know, Todd came to me early on before we even thought about this and said, everybody needs a God story. Everybody needs to be able to talk about their God story and how God brings them through things. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background about how all the way back from, you know, the early 2000s and things that kind of happened in my life real quick. And then we'll get through that and we'll tell the, what's happened over the last year, which I will call um, our God story. Let me read this poem real quick. <clears throat> It says, uh, it's by uh, William Ernest Henley. It says, it matters not how much or how straight the gate or how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And even though that sounds good, I'm going to tell you a little bit in a few minutes uh, why uh, that poem sounds great, sounds motivating, but really isn't. So if you play the video. Step by step, you walk through your life. Moving through a crowd of blurred faces, never to be archived. Hello, how are you? How is it going? Empty words with no meaning, hoping your insincerity isn't shown. You put on a front, trying to hide all the problems of your being. Hoping that perfection is the only thing that others are seeing. And you carry on with your day like you're the only thing that matters. Avoiding contact with others, now that's become a daily pattern. And day by day, you skillfully evade a breakdown, not realizing that it's a lack of depth that's causing you to drown. And another day is finished as you pull into your drive, convincing yourself, man, this must be what it feels like to thrive, but there's something inside you that's longing for more. 
It overcomes your thoughts and it's impossible to ignore. Man, if I don't acknowledge its presence, maybe it will cease to exist. As if this conviction can merely be slapped on the wrist. And the harder you suppress it, the more that it grows until the boiling point is reached. And you scream, hello! God, are you out there? Can you hear what I'm saying? I don't know how to do this, but I'm pleading, I'm praying. My life, it is stale. There's got to be more. This is all that there is. I don't want to live anymore. You sit there in silence, awaiting justification. You poured out your heart, and you feel no liberation. So you climb into bed and attempt to fall asleep, but this emptiness inside leaves no option but to weep. As the sun begins to rise, a new day has come, and you walk through your day to the beat of the same drum, but something feels different. There's a glimmer of hope, a certain freedom inside. You're no longer walking the tightrope. There's a fire inside to live with a purpose, something screaming from within, oh my gosh, this is worth it. What has happened to me? There's been a change in my soul. All I did was admit that I am weak. Did I find the loophole? You remember hearing something about God's strength in your weakness, but that was back in Sunday school. You can hardly believe this. And now these faces that you pass day in and day out now look more like humans whose souls are waiting to break out. Man, I want them to feel this, this passion inside. If they could just understand the freedom of not having to hide and then it hits you. A weight on your heart. God has placed you in this situation. It's time you play your part. Man, your cries, they were heard and he's working all things out for the good of those he loves and is called. So please shed your doubt. Your day carries on and he begins to show you your potential impact. And you begin to realize that the debt is no longer stacked because you can impact the lives of those he's placed around you being a window to his love and changing others points of view being a light in the darkness as you allow God to woo you as the darkness gets darker his light shines brighter through you so we can be a catalyst to others in their relationship with Christ be a catalyst for his love and his sacrifice be a catalyst for his compassion that burns like a fire be a catalyst for his grace that we all seek and desire because God is for God and he will be glorified. You see, his commands lead us to joy so we can take pride in the Savior of the world who is at work in our lives. And that's often revealed to us when we seek and confide. You see, using the average and ordinary, that's what he specializes in. So don't count yourself out because he's working within. Though daily monotony exists and we often can't find his purpose, seek refuge in God. I promise you, it's worth it. You see, he's the Savior of the world, and yes, that includes you. Let that simmer for a moment and then let it work through you because he knows you by name. You're not just a number. I can't even describe the depth of your worth, my sisters and brothers. So don't doubt his power and the fact that he will use you because his timing is perfect and he will never miscue you. Okay, I'm used to holding the microphone like the old-fashioned days when we didn't have this stuff. All right, so we talked about that that poem that was written. Beautiful, isn't it? The eloquent nature of the poem has a unique way of speaking directly to the soul. It finds you where you are and opens the door to your own circumstantial interpretation. I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. Powerful. I'm not sure about you, but for me that speaks. It motivates me. 
makes me want to do more, to take on more, to take control. Unfortunately, if my life has taught me anything, it is that I am most definitely not the master of my fate. And without a doubt, not the captain of my soul. This illusion of control, the very nature behind our lack of obedience to Christ and His plan over our lives. Matt Chandler of the Village Church says it like this, this is man-centered nonsense. An overestimation of our ability to pull things off, at the, especially at the deeper levels of meaning and existence. I want to talk just a second and tell a little story. So recently, and it comes into the title of, of my, uh, my message here, recently we went to the, to the Ark Museum. Has anybody been to the Ark Encounter? Okay, so a few of you. First of all, it's an amazing experience. Everybody should take the chance. Yes, it's a little expensive. Yes, it's busy, and there's a ton of people around. But it's totally worth it. There's a lot of, pe- a lot of things that you can learn. You go in there, you see just the magnitude of the Ark that... One man and his family built. It's just, it's awesome. So as we were going through this, you know, I, I kind of felt God speaking to me. And He just kept speaking to me slowly and slowly. And I knew by then at that time that we were coming here. And I wanted to use this, this as a moment to uh, sort of uplift my spirit and get us sort of plugged into to the, the mentality of coming into this church and being a children's pastor. I've never been a children's pastor before. I have children's. I have three of them, you know. But uh, I've never been there. I've never done that. I've always wanted to, though, and I've always felt like it's a calling of mine. I don't know why, because for the first ten years of my life, I hated kids. (laughs) But... As we were going through this arc, I wanted to seek out what God's, God wanted me to say, what God wanted to speak to me. And one of the things that stuck out to me um, is that the entire ship was built with no way to steer it. There's no rudder, no steering wheel, <laughs> nothing he could grab a hold of and steer away from the rocks. It was 100% on faith that God was going to provide and, and steer that ship. Henley's words, though beautiful, personify and tap into our human desire to control the ship that is our life. As each of us fight the wind and waves of daily life, we are quick to realize that our control over the ship is minimal. And our capacity to steer the ship is that of an inexperienced seaman. The thought of being in total control of our fate and soul is flat out exhausting. We've all day, <clears throat> we've all dug our heels in and tried taking matters into our own hands. But striving to steer the ship you clearly can't control only leads to the questioning of Christ and His purpose in your circumstances. The Bible's advice: Let God take control, or let go and let God. I love you all enough to tell you this. You cannot steer the ship. Don't take one hand off the wheel, but take both off. Turn with me into 2 Corinthians 
Second Corinthians 12.7 says, And lest I should be exalted above the measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest in me. Weakness <laughs> Oh shoot. All right, your weakness is one of the very things in which God is most glorified. Your job is not to steer the ship. Stop trying. Be a faithful seaman who at the end of the journey can hear from the captain, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to tell a little story just about our our God story just for a minute. Give you a little bit of background about me. Um, I had a calling. I felt the calling to preach in the early 2000s. I was ordained in October of 2004. We moved to New Hope on the second service. I was not on the deck, but I was at the next one. I'll never forget when my mom came to me and said, Hey, you remember your old youth pastor? And I said, Yeah. And he goes, She's started, He's starting a church. We should go there. I said, Yeah, maybe we should. And literally the next day, Todd pulled into our driveway and said, Hey, I want you to come to our church next Sunday. That was the beginning of what will become what would become a long working relationship. A lot of you know that well, some of you know who've been there from the beginning that my mom passed away in, in 2007. 2007 was a pretty bad year for us. I lost my mom. We lost job after job after job, just tons of jobs. Me and my wife both. It was just me and her at the time. We lost cars. I lost my house. And at that point in time, I felt like, you know what? I'm going to start running from God. I'll tell you this little quick conversation I had with God. And my friend, uh, Rob, who uh, at one point in time was working in this ministry as well, had a motorcycle. And uh, if you, you guys know a lot about me, I love motorcycles. Uh, I've, I've ridden ever since I was able to have a driver's license and ride, and you know I, I've worked on them. I went to school to be a technician. It didn't get me anywhere, <laughs> except deeper in debt and a way to fix my dad's motorcycle, <laughs> which he appreciates. <laughs> but um, you know, so I had this conversation with God. I was riding down 224. I don't know if you all know where 224 is. But uh, in in the Brimfield Suffield area, riding down 224 with his motorcycle, and uh, I was doing you know somewhere around 130 to 140 miles an hour. It's the fastest I've ever been on a motorcycle. Not many people know this story, and he doesn't even know this story, and he'd probably kill me if he, if he heard it. But he's gonna hear it, I'm sure. 
But I was doing about 130 miles an hour on his motorcycle, and I told God, you know what, if this is what being a Christian, if this is what being a pastor is all about, then I don't want anything to do with it. I felt at that time that was my lowest point in my life. I felt, you know, if there's anything else that you can take from me, what is what else is there? I, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I think a lot of pastors can go through that. But I, I was at the point, if this is what it's all about, I don't want to be involved. So after we had lost everything, we moved to Florida. Because I said, you know what? What do we got to lose now? Might as well move to Florida. My wife's family was in Florida. Uh, and we thought, well, we'll give that a shot. We never found a church. I never just felt comfortable in church um, after that. I felt as if I would always compare everything to the family I had here at New Hope. The church itself was never like what I had here. And even though I was at my lowest moment, New Hope loved me and we loved New Hope. They'll never know that I was at that low moment, but... We were. So we moved to Florida. We could never find a church. We visited hundreds of churches, it seemed like. We went into Pentecostal churches and Baptist churches and all the different denominations. And we never could find a home there. We never just just never felt at home. I found a good job working for Duke Energy at the time. We moved from Florida to North Carolina due to that job. For those of you that don't know, I was in nuclear security for uh, 12 years. I was uh, protecting nuclear plants, in a nutshell. That particular nuclear facility that I was in shut down and led us up to North Carolina. We did find a church there, or so we thought. We stayed in that church for eight years. We did have a lot of good times. In December of 2015, became another low point in my life. December of 2015, I was diagnosed with lupus. And for those of you who don't know much about lupus, lupus is something that doesn't typically attack a white male. It's typically in African Americans and Asians and typically female. I was also diagnosed with asthma and heart failure. I was told by the doctor that I would be in a wheelchair within five years. And if I was lucky, I might make it ten years to live. Let me just stop right here and say God is good. Because... Not only has it been more than five years, but it's been six years, and I am not in a wheelchair. I had to make the decision there. Do I let lupus run my life? Do I let my medical problems run my life? Or do I be like Paul and seek God and glory in those infirmities? Paul had a thorn in his flesh, as it says in 2 Corinthians. And he asked God to relieve it from him three times. But God never did that. So God deci- or Paul decided to glory in those infirmities. And in doing so, in your weakest spot, that's 
where God comes in. That's where God does the things that just start to amaze you. And that's where our God story really starts to begin. So I have a conversation with my wife as we're going to this other church. I said, you know, I really, I don't know why, but I feel like I need to work with kids. And Amber goes, I don't know why you don't like kids. (laughs) I said, I don't know, but for some reason I feel like I'm drawn to kids. So we actually started up an outdoor ministry. When I was young with my father, we had, we called it, it was called Indian Guides. It was through the YMCA. They made a movie about it one time. But it was father and son. And I really liked that. So we started up our own version of that ministry. We called it the Calvary Cadets. And it was an outdoor ministry with fathers and sons. And we're going to start that here. So don't get too, you know, out of whack with that. But we're going to start that here. Because I'm excited about starting that again. That was a good, a good time. But, I said all that to say that for some reason that conversation came up that it was a calling on me to start working with kids. So I went to the pastor and I said, you know, I really want to start working with kids. So he allowed me to start up that Calvary Cadets ministry, but he wouldn't... I don't want to bash another church, but he wouldn't allow me to work with children as it wasn't right in our previous church for the men to work with children. A lot of you have had, I'm sure, have had legalistic experiences, and that was one of those. Only women could work with children. So I wasn't allowed to express that. Then COVID came, and I had a dream. And I had this dream, and I actually called Todd about this dream. In my dream, uh, I was kind of pulled out of being a servant at a, at a large church uh, gathering. And there were toothpicks holding up the ceiling of this building that these people were in. And I was shown that within a second, one person could go and break all of those toothpicks and the whole church could collapse. And all of them would be gone. I feel that that was God showing me that the church that we were in was not where we were supposed to be. That that church was built on legalistic toothpicks. And that at any moment, it could have collapsed. I told Pastor Todd about this. We actually had breakfast with them. We came up and we went to Wally Waffle. (laughs) And Todd started speaking to us. And started making a lot of sense. God breathed into us the differences and what it really felt like to find freedom and grace in God. Todd actually had a dream too. And I don't know if he even remembers this conversation, but he called me and said he had a dream about us working together again. All of this, of course, before we knew that we would be making the move. I began to steer my own ship. Like the big title of my message, Don't Steer the Ship. I began to steer it. And even though God and Todd were working together to try and steer me up this way, I had a job offer. I had a job offer to start in the operations department of the nuclear plant. Now for those of you that don't know, that's kind of like making it. 
In the nuclear realm, you finally made it. If you got out of security, which was the red-headed stepchild, and made it to operations. <laughs> and the best part about it, we made a lot of money. That, for me, anyway, I don't know what you all make, but for me, it was making a lot of money. And all I saw was, hey, I'm about to start a job that's going to give me a, a great career, a well over six-figure salary. So we did what anybody who's going to get a big increase in money did. We, we went out and bought two new cars. <laughs> I quit my security job, went to operations, thinking this is where God wants me to be. Because obviously what Todd was thinking was just not on this. We weren't on the same page. What Todd was speaking to me obviously wasn't what God wanted or He wouldn't have given me this job. My old pastor called me and said we were backslidden. We hadn't been to church in quite some time because of COVID. Our church shut down constantly. Pastor says we were backslidden and we were in the same book but would never be on the same page. I had a conversation about taking the job with Todd. It wasn't an easy one. But when I came up here to go to church the week before I started training for that job, I knew I had accepted the wrong position. You guys had welcomed me back into the family without even realizing you did it. I realized then and there that I should have never accepted that job and I walked into Todd and Becky's office and I said, I've made a mistake. I've messed up. I tried to steer my ship. And now I don't know what to do about it. So we talked. Training starts. And I started praying. I said, God, I don't know if I'm supposed to keep going through with this or should I just quit? I can't afford to quit. I got bills to pay. I got a house, two cars, I got a family. Training started. I had a car that broke down constantly. Um, even though I said it, we, we purchased two new cars, they were new to me. Not brand new by any means. Uh, that car kept breaking down. We ended up going and buying a different vehicle so that I could make it to the training. We were steering that ship because if I didn't have a car, well, I can't make it to the training and I got to steer this ship. I got to keep going because this is, this is where God wants me to be. I, I can feel it, but then I, I, I'm not sure I'm so conflicted. So, while in training, I have to have uh, what they call fire brigade training. Uh, fire brigade training, uh, part of it is that they put you in something um, called a flashover simulator. And I don't know if you know, many of you know really about what that is, but a flashover simulator is they put you in a steel box, which is nothing more than a shipping container. They set it on fire, and you're sitting inside of, a, uh, of this steel box it's uh, 
according to the temperature gauges, somewhere around 1,100 degrees in there. And this thing is just to show you that at certain temperatures, the smoke inside that steel box will catch on fire. It's to kind of give you a confidence in your equipment that you're about to wear. And I see a couple people nodding, so I mean a few people might know what I'm talking about. Our jackets and our things that we were wearing were measuring at 500 degrees. It was hot. If we were to touch each other, we would have the steam itself from the sweat would have burned our skin. So you were taught not to touch each other. I came out of that, obviously, well overheated. I thought I was going to pass out. I got heat exhaustion. We had fought fire all day, got into that, and got heat exhaustion. Which, I mean, at the time, I felt like was no big deal. Little did I know that that was the beginning of what God would sort of close the door. After uh, multiple different doctor visits, they were going to let me continue the training the following week, or the following months. I had to make up the two days. I had a few doctor visits through the, the company, the company site doctor that uh, you know should, does your physicals and things like that. And he decided that even though two weeks ago I was okay to perform this, now that I had had heat exhaustion after sitting in an oven for, for 45 minutes, uh, that I couldn't continue. That, of course, set me in this downward spiral of, well, now what am I going to do? Little did I know that I feel like it was God shutting the door only to allow me to come up here. Because if He wouldn't have shut that door, I don't know if I could have. Because I would have probably continued to try and follow that career dream. Over Easter, we just decided to go to to Florida to get out, to kind of clear our minds. We came back, we had another meeting with Pastor Todd. I said, brother, I want to come up here, but I need a job. And we need a place to live. And I thought, finding a place to live is going to be easy, but finding a job ain't going to happen. We were sitting in the living room at Todd's house. And I was telling him, you know, just where I felt. And he jumps up says, the Spirit just spoke to me. And I was okay. He said, you're going to call this place and they're going to give you a job. Okay, whatever you say, you know. (laughs) So, I I mean, he gave me the phone number right there. So he's like, call him right now. I said, okay. So I I called him. Actually, he texted him. And then uh, he called us back anyway. So I call him and he says, yeah. Yeah, I want to. I want to interview you. I want to talk to you. Uh, can you? Can, can we meet up tomorrow? Well, of course. You know, whatever. All right, let's talk. You know. So, uh, amazingly enough, uh, enough uh, within that day, I had three job offers. Um, I was blown away. You know, absolutely blown away. I should have known that that God had this under control right then and there, but of course, you know, I didn't. But we uh, continued. I was uh, stopped getting paid for my old job. I was on, at that time, they called it, you know, just on short-term disability. So we stopped getting paid from there. But Triton, 
the company that I work for, they came through and they, he, he, he hired me with no problems. The biggest problem, we were trying to find a place to live. And as you guys know all right now, the market is crazy. We, uh, uh, we were able to sell our house. We put our house on the market in North Carolina. Still not having a place to live, really. But we put our house on the market. We had... First of all, let me start by saying this. We put our house on the market for more than what I thought it was worth. And I just want to share how good God is for a minute. Uh, We had six showings the night that we scheduled, the night we put it on the market. We put it at Thursday at 4 o'clock. By that evening, we had six showings scheduled for Friday. The next day, we had a showing every half an hour the entire day from 8 all the way to 8 o'clock at night. We stopped accepting offers at 5 o'clock on Saturday. The offer we ended up going with was given to us within an hour of us putting our house on the market. Not only did we sell it for what more than what I thought, but we got an offer for almost to a T what God told Todd we should list it for. It was well over 10000 over listing price. With no closing costs, no inspections, no fix of anything, it was nothing more than, hey, I live near there, I want that house, and that's all there is to it, here's my offer. Okay. Amen. So, in the way, we have our house on the market, we have it sold, now we've got 30 days to close. We still ain't found a place to live. I swear. We better find someplace somewhere real quick. So we come back up here. You guys knew we were coming in and out, right? A couple Every couple weeks. So we were trying to find a place to live. And we were all the way down to maybe our family of four can fit in a two-bedroom apartment. Family of five can fit in a two-bedroom apartment. Because... We were trying to... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I always... It was really stressful. It's been a stressful month, you know? (laughs) But I'm trying to figure out how can we fit our family of five in a two-bedroom apartment because that's the only thing that's available right now. And to be honest, we couldn't even afford those. (laughs) I don't know how we were going to afford them. When the apartments in Brimfield, of all places, when I was a kid, nobody wanted to live in Brimfield. Now everybody apparently wants to live in this Portage County area. But... When the apartments in Brimfield are two bedrooms and they're going for twenty-five to twenty-eight hundred dollars a month, I don't know who pays these things. But I knew that we weren't going to be able to. I'll tell you that because I still didn't really have a great job on the line yet. Triton had said we're going to hire you, but you know sometimes until it's you know the writing's on the paper, you never know. So we started looking through Facebook, and a friend of ours, um, it, well Amber was like, hey. There's a house in Deerfield for rent. 
Okay, well, I know where Deerfield's at. She goes, hey, this, we know this guy. I didn't have any idea that he had rental properties. But sure enough, a friend of ours that we had known years ago put his house up for rent. So we, I called him right away. I, I put got on Messenger and I said, hey, I don't know, you know, it's been a little while since we talked, but I want to rent your house. Don't rent it to anybody else. It's mine. <laughs> so sure enough, he actually called us. We talked back and forth, kind of to make that long story short a little bit. Um, he says, you know, you guys are a real answer to my prayers. He said, we've been trying to find, you know, good people to rent this place and so many people want to come in and just destroy it or bring 700 cats and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I look at the cat dad over there. But uh yeah. <laughs> ah, no, just teasing. Just teasing, just teasing. Gotta love it. But anyway, uh you know, so we have a cat team, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> but you know, so yeah, he said, well, you guys are just a huge answer to prayer because I know you guys at least have the same morals and values and I've seen the pictures of your house. You take care of things. It's a huge answer to prayer for us. And he just, I mean, he worked with us. We're talking, you know, half the price of some of these apartments. And it's a three-bedroom house on 16 acres. You know, what, what more could you want, right? Again, I'm just starting to tell you guys what happens when you take your hands off your ship. So we closed our house with no issues. We got moved up here. And when, remember when I said I had three job offers? One of them was for the Portage County Sheriff's Office. And I thought, you know what? That's a good job. That's a real good job. You know, it pays okay, but the benefits, you know, benefits are great. Retirement, things like that. I said, man, i got to get my hands back on that wheel and start steering that ship. So I accepted that job. I said, you know what? This is the job we're supposed to start. I accepted it, got a voucher, went through the lie detector test, the background checks, the the whole nine yards. I went up and told Todd, and I said, you know, something just doesn't feel right, though. I feel like maybe I might have steered that ship. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> So it, later on that day, Amber actually came to me and said, man, you know, I, I'm just not comfortable with you taking the jail job. I don't know. I was going to be a corrections officer. I thought it was right up my alley because, you know, I'm in security and go up to corrections. It's kind of not that much of a deal. You're just keeping people in versus keeping people out. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we talked to Todd about the ministry and work with kids, and of course we all have this, um, you know, con- a lot of conversations back and forth. God has just been absolutely amazing with us. He has never ceased to stop blessing us. And i got to tell you guys, the moment you remove yourself from steering your ship is the most freeing moment that you will ever feel. When you really start to feel the freedom that God gives you, when you just take your hands off the wheel 
And let God control your ship. You'll never know another feeling like it. Not only has God given us a good job, I like it. I never thought I would like it. My dad did maintenance for years. I'm a maintenance man. I never thought that was going to be my job. But I like it. I actually really like it. I have a church that I love and love coming to. Folks, just that alone, knowing that I have a church that I'm excited to go to, that I'm excited to get up on Sunday morning, I haven't had a feeling like that in years. I'm so happy to be here. I hope you guys are happy to have me. Letting go of your illusion of control allows you to be more present in the lives around you. You no longer must worry about steering your ship. You can hone your focus on the tasks at hand. As the video said, to be a catalyst in the lives around you. Shine a light in your daily walk. Be a catalyst for His grace. To speak truth, win souls and bridge gaps. Be the hand and feet of God. So I ask you, what is your current mission? Where's your ship heading? What does God have you working on right now? What is He calling you to let go of so that you can be more active for His kingdom? Who crosses your path daily that needs to hear about God's love? About God's freedom? In closing, as long as you're holding on to control, you cannot do the necessary tasks that God has for you. Let God focus on the seas and what is to come. Let Him navigate the waters. While you focus on your obedience to Him, to the tasks He has called you, after all, they may just play a role in getting your ship to its final destiny. Stop steering your ship. Let God steer the ship. Abide in Him and know that He's got you. That's all I got.